0: act 17 and verse 22 not quite right up there and good to see everybody here this morning so paul standing in the midst of the areopagus said men of athens i perceive that in every way you're very religious For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of the, one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by art and the imagination of man the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed and of this He's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from them, midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysus, the Arab op- got and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So let's pray now thank you let's pray thank you so much Lord for being able to just pause now and ask for your help because we we need your help not not just to deliver the word but also to hear the word and we're so acutely aware of the fact that we're easily distracted and uh, we are prejudiced and biased and uh, we need you to overcome our sin. The opposition that we have naturally in our hearts toward you until your Holy Spirit is given us and we're converted and brought to you. So we pray for your richest help upon us today. And we thank you so deeply for your gift of the Holy Spirit to the church and to individual members of the church. We are so aware of your presence with us that when we're together in your name, you're here to bless us and to help us. And we pray for your richest help, ready help this morning. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen. So this morning I'm speaking on uh, the sermon which was given in Acts 17 to Athens in the in the first century, uh, and you'll see that quite a lot of detail is given there by Luke, who would have been present, who wrote Acts. He was a colleague of Paul and he noted down quite a substantial amount of material from the sermon given in the uh, centre of Athens there in the first century. So these people were among the first people in Europe to ever hear the gospel preached. So it's very, very interesting to hear here, to see here, just exactly what it was that Paul said to uh, these people in Athens. Now when you look at um, Acts 2, which is at the beginning of this book, you can see uh, another guy called Peter. Preaching in Jerusalem, and it's very very interesting when you look at his sermon a substantial quantity of that sermon as well given in Acts 2 very fascinating to see just how the preacher approached the Proclamation of the gospel in Acts 2 and you can see there that a substantial Amount of the Old Testament is given and he's presuming a considerable knowledge of the Lord of heaven and earth among the audience Uh, That heard him in Acts 2 and that audience were in the main Jewish people who had a considerable understanding of the Old Testament so you see that there in Acts 2 then you come to Acts 17 in Athens in Europe where there probably was not a Jew to be found on that particular occasion and he's speaking here to people who have no understanding whatsoever of the Old Testament so there's no citation of the Old Testament at all in the sermon he's not referring at all he's not He's not uh, assuming that they know anything about the Lord of heaven and earth. And what he does do, fascinatingly, is he actually cites two of their poets, secular Grecian poets, And quotes them as part of his preaching that day to support the points that he's making here to the people of Athens. So, you know, audiences can considerably change. And when you're looking out as I am to you, and I'm thinking of all manner of things about you this morning and your knowledge and understanding of English and uh, of my vocabulary. And your understanding of the Bible or lack of understanding of the Bible. You know, all of these things should be borne in mind by the preacher when he stands up to preach, because preaching is is primarily about you. It is not about the preacher. So but the preacher has to work for you for you to understand what's being said. And and so Paul here speaking to people with no understanding of the Old Testament whatsoever and he's preaching to them of that god that unknown god they uh, mentioned there um, and the god of the lord of heaven and earth so you know the audience can change But the message doesn't change. I think that's the important point that uh, when you when if you followed carefully what I was saying this morning and reading there, you can see that it moves along and mentioning wonderful things there that you would find in the Old Testament while not quoting from the Old Testament and then coming down at the conclusion of his preaching in Athens uh, to the point that Jesus is raised from the dead. So there you see just what was found considerably in Acts 2. A great deal of attention given to that particular point there in Acts 2. The same point here mentioned, spoken of as the conclusion of the different preacher, Paul, in an entirely different space with an entirely different audience. So, you know, audiences can change and we must be Deeply aware of the audience uh, but the message remains the same and while one may approach that message in a different way the message always in the end concerns the death of Jesus Christ for our sins and the resurrection of Christ from the dead so those things need to be said right at the beginning. What I wanted to do this morning is just to kind of um, think of three words in this, in this passage which I read. You'll find them there. The word proclaimed. The word command in verse 30. And the word assurance in verse 31. So we'll think of these particular words as I speak to you about Acts 17. Preaching is, uh, is proclamation. And, and proclamation is is a public uh, loud pronouncement of, of something which is, is to be uh, believed, which is believed. Um, and so, you know, in a city, uh, a herald may be appointed by the dignitaries of the city would have been appointed to pronounce and proclaim news to the city. And in the same way, you know, a preacher is a proclaimer. He's He's proclaiming news, and in this case, he's proclaiming news to very religious people in Athens. Now, I think that's important in itself. Uh, Christian preachers, the Christian church is, is not ashamed of the message of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, irrespective of the audience. The audience can be, as they were here, very religious and uh, approach God and their understanding of God in an entirely unbiblical fashion and not in accordance with Paul's understanding of God. And yet, with all their views and all their biases and prejudices... Though they were very religious and had their strong views about how God was to be understood and seen, still he proclaimed Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And he begins with this proclamation, speaking of the fact that God is the creator. God the creator made everything, all, and everything that one can see and being so he's the lord of heaven and earth that's a that's a marvelous point which is made so often in the bible and it's a point which certainly needs to be made today because i think in the western world particularly people are, are not prepared to believe that single first fact of the sermon in athens that god made everything and As such is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, the problem with us, and maybe the problem with you this morning, is that you're rejecting that fundamental point of the Christian message. The fundamental primary point of Christian message is that the God that we worship, the God who saved us and who died for us, is the God who made everything and is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, in our stupidity, what do people do? You know, we've seen this written of in the Old Testament. And we see it here in the sermon. We see it in Athens with all of their idols and all of their made of gold and silver, their altars, and all of their views on on who God is. So in, in our stupidity, we think of God in, in, in various ways and in, and in ways which are, which, are, which are not biblical. We think of, of God as being a, a, a God who is, uh, you know, is, is, is able to be fashioned, is able to be stuffed into a temple, is able to be fitted into a particular space, is able to be pictured in gold or silver or in some shape. We think of God in that way. And yet, you know, God is is not that. Um, Paul says he's the Lord of heaven and earth and he can't be uh, controlled in any way or or pressured in any way by a human opinion or by a uh, human decision. So, and in our service of God, what do we do there? Another word which is mentioned in this passage. We think that we're serving God. And so we sort of concoct all all sorts of uh, religious sort of uh, practices. And we think that through our religious practices, we can serve God and, and, and do something for God and help God be, as it were, in debt to us. But, you know, there again, that's not the God that he's speaking of here, the Lord of heaven and earth. This Lord cannot be put into a temple. This Lord cannot be pictured in gold and silver or in some form of an image. This Lord is the Lord of heaven and earth who made everything and is invisible, wise and almighty. So, you know, we as people... Have our own opinions and our own prejudices. Maybe this morning you are one such person. You are thinking, you know, I know what God is and I will stick to my understanding of God. I know what man is. That is another thing that he gets on to. I know what man is. I understand this of man. And yet here Paul is saying all men are descended from a single man. And that man is clay and God fashions that man and that man depends on God for everything for his breath and for everything that he has you know all of these things are said in the sermon as sort of preparation really for what he's about to say by way of a command now what a fascinating way of approaching things and maybe it's the way you know we we should be doing things more in New Zealand because in a sense in New Zealand the audience resembles not the the one in Acts 2 with a considerable understanding of the Old Testament the audience in in New Zealand resembles the Athenians who have their own opinions about God and their own prejudices about man and these things are roundly contradicted in the considerable amount of material at the beginning of that preaching of Paul when he speaks of God as being the Lord of heaven and earth that cannot be contained by any building, cannot be drawn up in any form, and man that is so dependent upon God and in no sense sovereign or independent in himself but is dependent upon God for all his breath and all his being. So he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And man certainly is not the Lord of heaven and earth. Man is dependent upon God and God is the one who is everything.
1: Now in the 30th
0: verse, he uses this other word, which I drew your attention to. The Lord Lord is... Lord of heaven and earth then he has every right in the world to do with human beings and everything else that he's made just as he wants to because he's the Lord of heaven and earth and here in this passage he says that he commands all people everywhere to do something and it's our duty to do that because we're made by him and he's the Lord our Lord the Lord of heaven and earth so we have, we have no other space but to do what he commands us to do. It's interesting, a while ago I was talking to one of the physios that sort of was working on, on my shoulder. And I, he loved to talk about the, the gospel, about the Bible, interestingly. I never came to a point of faith in him, but he, he asked sort of lots of questions. And one day I actually quoted that verse and said that the Lord of heaven knows what commands all men everywhere to repent. He said, well why should I listen to his command? That's a a simple obvious question. So many young people and western people in the western world. Why should we listen to God's command? Because he's the Lord of heaven and earth and cannot be pictured by man. cannot be stuffed into a shape or put into a temple or written up in some way as though we've got a, a a particular handle on him. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He has the right to do everything. He made us as human beings out of one man. All of us are totally and utterly dependent upon him for our breath. So he has the right to tell us what to do as human beings. And for you this morning, if there's anyone in this room this morning who hasn't understood what the Christian faith truly is. It, it really begins about there, that you are under the command of the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's commanding you, the one he's made out of one man originally, Adam, that is, he's commanding you to do something that he wants and believes all human beings must do. He's demanding it of all human beings. What does the Lord require of you? But and here's the answer in this passage. That we should repent of our rebellion toward Him. How have we rebelled toward Him? We've rebelled toward Him because we've had our own views of God. And believe that this is God. I understand God. This is how I wish, wish to describe God. This is how I wish to picture God. No, all of that must be set aside. And we must accept the biblical uh, revelation of who God is. That's what we must believe of God. That alone is true. Everything else is just from the, the space of your mind and from your own uh, understanding of the world and of yourself. You've rebelled in terms of, of your <coughs> belief of self and what you are. And particularly today, all of us sort of believe in something, or so many people do, believe that in some way we've sort of come out of the soup or out of the creek or out of the mud and eventually being formed into a human being that contradicted here quite quite clearly when it says that we're from one man made from one man and he he made us there's nothing nothing random about our development whatsoever but he made us as human beings these things Uh, of the essence of the Christian faith and of the essence of, of repentance that we need to turn away from our views of God and our views of self and our views of our capacity and our view to do things and our views of our strength, of our own individual strength and we need to turn to God and believe on Him. Repenting of our sins, leaving them behind and turning to him and trusting in him from the heart and obeying him. The third word which is mentioned is in the next verse, in verse 31, where he speaks about, the, gives the word assurance. It's really fascinating there that the Lord, in his grace, you know, gives us even more reasons why we should repent. Having said things about himself and about man. He then goes on to talk about what he's done in terms of the end of the world. And you can see here a sovereign God, an almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, doing something so decisive in in fixing a day and in appointing a man. And in raising a man from the dead. You know, all of those are highly active, determined, clear actions of the Lord of heaven and earth, of the sovereign God. So there's a serious sort of situation developing here that he's speaking of. That the Lord of heaven and earth, having already uh, made pronouncements on God and man, then, now, persuades you even more deeply and gives you... Gives you some serious information which should goad you into thinking, I need to do something now about that command. I need to repent now. I need to come to Jesus now. Because he fixed the day of judgment. He's appointed a man to be the judge. And he's raised the man from the dead. And that latter thing gives us the absolute assurance that this thing will come to pass. How is, it so? you know, how is it so that the resurrection of the dead gives us that assurance that we're seeing here something which is true? Because a resurrection can be seen, and a resurrection can be written, written about, can be recorded. A resurrection can someone can testify to having seen the resurrected Christ, which they do in the New Testament. So there's written material there for you to believe. The Bible is testimony for you to believe. So, you know, that being so, that resurrection is a basis of the ground of assurance that there will one day be a day of judgment and that judge will be our dear and lovely and wise and good and kind Lord Jesus Christ, who never does anything amiss, but will always do everything correctly, rightly, and wonderfully and kindly. So, take it to heart, you know. All this being so, um, prepare. Prepare now for the great day. How do you prepare? You prepare by listening to the command. You prepare for the great day by repenting toward God and believing on our Lord Jesus Christ. You prepare in that way. Prepare now, prepare now for, for the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And no man knows that day. So there's, there's no reason to believe that it could not be today or tomorrow. There's no reason to believe that it would not be on those days. In the Bible, there's interesting stories. There's one little story about 10 girls who were invited to a wedding. And five of them were thoroughly prepared for the unexpected arrival of the bridegroom. So they had their lamps all ready. So that it was even. So they could go in with the bridegroom. And ten and five of them thought nothing of it. They thought that when the bridegroom came, then they would get there and prepare the oil for their lamps and then they would go in with the bridegroom. But Jesus said, no, you know, that won't be the case. It'll be too late. You must be ready now. You must be ready with your man. now for the unexpected arrival of the bridegroom. And how are you ready? You're ready by repenting toward God of your views about God and man and believing in his testimony and principally believing certainly on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection the dead which gives us every reason for being grounded and, and, and in the basis of true assurance so prepare that way and just finally what does it do it really preparation of that kind honours the Lord Jesus Christ um, who's the Lord of heaven and earth he tells us what to do so you really honouring him and you're loving him as well as obeying Him, you're, you're loving Him, you're honouring Him, you're praising Him, you're thinking highly of Him, you're commending Him, aren't you? When you obey His Word and today, here in New museum, here in this church, here, here today in the home, prepare yourself and ask that you will need us to today, you will to truly Person, so that repentance is part of my daily life and part of my thinking. I want to be that person. I want to be a person who comes to you in that condition, in that state of humility, because then I know I'll be ready for you on that day when Jesus comes. An appointed day, a fixed day when He comes to judge the world so let's pray now Lord um, we thank you today for uh, being able to look into what was preached in the first century to people among the very very first in Europe who ever heard the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ we thank you it's so fascinating to see what he said and how he said it and how the unchanged message is there, even to the Athenians, the same message that was preached to the Jews in Jerusalem, same message that must be preached here in New Lynn as in the University of Auckland. In every place our message the only thing we've got to offer to the world the only message that we have to offer to the world that you died for our sins and you were raised according to the scriptures lord bless us now bless every person in the room and help every person in the room to come to a saving understanding of you repenting toward you and trusting in You and in Your Son. We ask this for Your name's sake. Amen.